The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, where we talk about living and working in a world where the wired, the tired, and technology converge. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, and I'm here with my co-host, Keith Compagna, and our sponsors today are Jobvite and Success Performance Solutions. We've got another great guest today, Andrew Tarvin. Uh, He is a humor engineer and the founder of Humor That Works. Keith, um, before we get into uh, our today's guest, uh, you had a, a good show last week. Uh, my my first absence, and uh, you did it with a uh, 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 well. You're a great replacement. So yeah, <laughs> thank wor- you. Got to worry about my seat as the primary host, right? <laughs> I was uh, I was concerned that we might burn down the podcast, but everything worked out just fine. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's what I heard, and it sounded great. And when and we've got that out there, and uh, today uh, Drew, um, our speaker. Uh, and Andrew Tarvin, but uh, he goes by Drew, uh, is uh, is going to be a great dovetail to what the, you were talking about, um, you know, well-being. So there's, there's a couple things um, that uh, I was reading uh, Drew's book, uh, which is Humor That Works, and uh, there's a couple stats, and, and I'm sure, you know, we've talked about these before. You've heard them. A lot of our listeners have probably heard about them, too. Um, but uh, well, this hold is on, the- hold on, a sec. hold on. Before we get to Drew, weren't you on like a, a quasi global tour? Yeah, well, week? very quasi, but uh, <laughs> I, I would say regional. Yeah, um, let's see. Since I was on the air last, uh, I was at Sherm, New York. We were talking about that a little bit uh, beforehand. Uh, so I was in the city, and that went really, really well. We had a, a packed. I was in one of the breakouts. We had a packed room. Mm. And then I headed off to uh, Sherm National or Sherm Talent, uh, and that was in Nashville. And I did a uh, another TED-like talk. They had a smart session. A, they called it the smart stage. And we had 18 minutes, and, and you've done the HR disrupt. You know what that's yep. like. But, yep. um, and I talked about 18 video tips and tools you can use to engage more top talent. Uh, and it, that went uh, crazy. <laughs> I went really, really well. Um, I finished in 18 minutes and 10 seconds. I had a big timer in the front, which was phenomenal because I, I unfortunately didn't get a lot of chance to practice it, but I knew the material anyway, so sure. you, you know that. Yep. Uh, and then the next day, uh, I did recruiting in the age of Googleization. And uh, again, uh, big ballroom. Uh, there was about five to 600 people in the room. Uh, and uh, that Again, it, the reception's been great. I, I got uh, probably 100, 150 messages um, from people that attended, wanted more information, wanted to connect on LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn connections, I, I know, you're, you're, you know you're, you're on there all the time as well. Uh, I think my le- LinkedIn traffic, like, tripled. Nice. <laughs> just, just in a couple of days. So, yeah, it was it was great. And uh, I, I'm, tomorrow I'm actually headed off to a client, but then I, uh, you know, I'm doing – 
Sherm Long Island in a few weeks. Uh, got Sherm National. Just got selected to uh, speak at Convergence, uh, Cornerstones Convergence. Sweet. So yeah, in San Diego in a couple weeks. So uh, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. So it's nice. uh, it's, it's been busy. So nice. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah it's been uh, it's a lot of work. You know, disruptive tra- travel's great. Um, but as Drew today will tell, working out of a hotel room sometimes isn't the, the most fun in yeah. the world. But excited to get him on. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, so let me let me go back to what we were kind of the lead in here because I I am anxious to get uh, Drew on. I'm I'm excited um, because it, we, we we're pretty we're a pretty serious group here. Uh, we've had fun <laughs> with a lot of the conversations, but you know it's pretty serious talk. And I I, I had a laugh because it's um, well. No, no pun intended. Uh, but humor engineer, because we're talking about human engineering. We're talking about robots and automation, and and the challenges with that, and what the future of work is, and job extinction, and all those things. And and now we've got the, a humor engineer. Uh, and uh, so Jewel will tell us about how he got into that. But a few stats I pulled out of the book, and and it was just I I love the way uh, Drew spun this. of Americans are stressed at work. We've heard that before. We know that. Uh, 55% are unsatisfied with their jobs. And we, again, nothing earth shattering there, but it still continues to be that way. 47% struggle to stay happy. Here's what gets interesting, you know, and, and it's how to quantify that, that that drew from based on Drew's calculations uh, from a lot of surveys and a lot of research. He didn't make this stuff up. Uh, Five hundred billion dollars is lost every year in productivity from disengaged workers, and sure. three hundred billion in productivity and healthcare costs from stressed out workers. Another eleven billion in replacement costs due to employee turnover. That's $811 billion lost every year, which is bigger than the GDP of 160 countries. Uh, the, it, if you want to take that down to a level that resonates with people, for, for every get, disengaged worker, it costs $4,638. Sure. A year. Just, it just sort of evaporates. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, I, again, so you know, where do we put humor, you know, into this? How do we, you know, how how do we uh, not make a joke of work, but you know, and not just tell jokes and and laugh, but how do we become more effective? Uh, which is a key message from Drew. And I'm super pumped to to hear what Drew has to say, just based off of the idea that I've worked in some pretty large organizations on the sales side of things. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that if you have somebody in a sales department or any kind of selling capacity that's disengaged, I don't know where they get the statistics, and maybe Drew does, but I could easily recognize the opportunity cost of, let's say, a disengaged sales member sales team member versus somebody who's maintaining a sales production or you know making the dials getting out in front of people as compared to somebody who meh I don't care you know I, I've, I've always been curious about where they come up with the numbers but I can't I, I, I have a hard time disputing that they're there and I think that and personally I've always been the kind of presenter that 
thinks that if you get them laughing, you get them, you get them buying, so to speak. And buying doesn't necessarily mean a product. It could be they buy into the company culture, they buy into the the change management, they buy into whatever it is that you're trying to promote. I think laughter does help people re- relieve themselves of that that kind of day-to-day work strain that everyone seems to carry around with them, whether or not it's a, a Wednesday or a, or a Saturday. So I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. And there's, um, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I guess one of the things that people talk about often is having motivated employees and it's, it's a pretty far spectrum from, uh, I think it's a, it's a large spectrum of, of someone who's motivated and then someone who is somewhat engaged to being completely disengaged. So there's a, there's a lot of varieties mm-hmm. of this, but uh, you know, getting up in the morning and enjoying what you do and coming to work and uh, not necessarily being gung ho, but uh, you know, even before we got on the call, uh, uh, Drew had said, you know, he loved, uh, you know, he he, just, he loves what he does, and and you could tell I do. I mean, that's mm-hmm. uh, people are, you know, when I got on stage the other day. Um, you know, I, not only do I know my stuff, but it's fun. I mean, I'm not being forced, you know, to to do this, right. and uh, so that's that's a, that's a big difference. Um, but uh, it's it's also sometimes it, you know, it gets a little tough, and it's how do we, how do we, um, you know, uh, I guess put you get humor to work. So. Sure. So let, let's. Uh, I think it's. Let, let's. Uh, you know, rather than us, you, you and I going back and forth, let's bring Drew on. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he is the first human engineer, humor engineer, teaching people how to get better results while having more fun. He's worked with uh, thirty-five thousand plus people at two hundred and fifty plus organizations, uh, including some impressive companies: Microsoft, the FBI, uh, international. Uh, Association of Canine Professionals. That's kind of a wide divergence. Microsoft, the FBI, and Canine Professionals. <laughs> so, uh, he's a best-selling author. He's been featured in Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fast Company. He's done a TEDx talk. Uh, has been viewed four million times. I'm very jealous of that. Uh, and he loves the color orange and is obsessed with chocolate. Drew, nice. welcome to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Ah, well, thank you for, for having me. I enjoyed the, the kind of bantering conversation that you had before, um, certainly about the the need for humor with some of the statistics, but then also the, the value of it. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to, to chat with both of you. So let's start with, I mean, how did you get into this? Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed reading about that you went to, um, was it Ohio State? Is mm-hmm. that where you went? Yep, I went to The Ohio State University. If I yeah. don't say the V in front of it, I think they take away my degree. Yeah. Um, so I have a little bit of fun with that. But uh, yeah, so I, uh, by way of background, I have always been, you know, an engineer in terms of mindset. Uh, you know, as a kid, I remember thinking that smart for me was getting a 93% in all of my classes because a 93% was the lowest grade you could get and still get an A. Right. Uh, and so it got to the point, you know, if I got a 94, 95 or worst case scenario, 100%, I was upset because it meant that I did more work than I had to do, right? Like obsessed with efficiency. And so I went to Ohio State, got a degree in computer science and engineering. And after that, started working at Procter & Gamble as an IT project manager, working on some um, international kind of global project within the organization, first in R&D and upstream development, and then later with um, a sales group in New York. And I realized that uh, uh, you can't be efficient with people, 
Uh, you know, I, and in college, I wanted to treat, uh, when I was an RA, I wanted to treat each one of my residents like a checklist. Like, all right, if I spend three minutes with this person, three minutes with that person, three minutes with the next person, right, I'm an amazing RA, but we, we know that that's not how relationships work. And uh, I didn't necessarily have the skills I needed to be efficient or effective with people because, you know, like I said, an engineer, a stereotypical nerd. Uh, but started doing improv and stand-up in, in college and realized some of those same skills were actually helping me in the workplace. So, and, and in reading the book, I, I did learn one th- really, really interesting thing about you, and, and hopefully you and I will, will be able to meet someday and do some things, but I shouldn't ask you to cook dinner. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I am I am not a cook. Like the most advanced thing that I can cook is is pop tarts, and like that's not even putting them in a toaster <laughs> oven. That's just eating them raw. Like uh, I I have learned that my skill set is in other areas. I'm good with spreadsheets and numbers and planning and all that. Not so good with in the in the kitchen. And and yeah, that's one of the stories that I share in the book is around. Uh, trying to be as efficient as I can uh, cooking spaghetti and realizing that there is a difference between being efficient and being effective. And so often what we do every single day is about trying to be as efficient as possible. And I think that's partially what leads to disengagement is that we try to do things um, that uh, maybe we, we can do relatively fast, but actually don't get us results in the end. So my, my talk at uh, SHRM National uh, or SHRM Annual uh, at the end of uh, June is uh, the title is keeping the H in HR, keeping the human and human resources, because that, that's a struggle. Uh, you know, people are concerned and, and there's a whole debate. Uh, so I, I love the concept of adding, you know, the H is can also be humor. Um, putting 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 the humor in HR is uh, is really an interesting concept because they're typically the compliance cops and, and a very bureaucratic administrative task. Uh, so, you know, looking at it that way, when when you go into an organization, this is more than just uh, kind of improv training, standing up, you know, finding the guy who can tell the funny jokes and laugh. Um, talk about, I guess, putting humor in perspective, uh, because I, I, I can, you know, the immediate response when I when I put that out. Uh, somebody, I don't know, if, I can't remember if they commented or if it was an offline on LinkedIn or if it was an offline comment, but they made something about, well, that could be challenging in our company because, uh, you know, we had this guy and all he did was like to tell jokes and they were off color and, you know, all, all that stuff. So I, I can see there's a, there's a downside, but when you go into an organization, what, what do you, uh, you know, I guess... What's the message? I mean, what, what's, what's your approach to that? How do you get them to accept that there should be humor uh, in, the, in the workplace? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a common kind of, a, you know, initial reaction, particularly within HR. My mom uh, has, has spent her entire career in HR, and she likes to say that you can't spell humor without HR because uh, otherwise it would just be umo. Um, so you can kind of see where I remember that. That's good. Where you can get get some of my sense of humor. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people have this perception. In fact, I was on a call with um, a potential client earlier this morning and they were like, listen, we, we've, we had a, a speaker that was a comedian come in like five years ago and it went terrible. And so there's a lot of apprehensive, uh, you know, apprehension about potentially bringing you in. And, you know, I think a lot of people have had that experience, whether it's hiring a speaker or someone in the workplace, like you said, someone that was just constantly cracking jokes, and maybe they're inappropriate or off color, they were targeting people. And, you know, there's a couple of things that I, I say that 
you know, to, to talk to people about that. One is that, you know, humor is a tool. Uh, in the book, I kind of equate it to a, a screwdriver, you know, because it is something that can be used to build something up or take it apart. It usually involves a little bit of a twist. And uh, though it is an effective tool, you could technically stab someone with a, a screwdriver, right? So it's kind of all in how you wield it. And, and humor is exactly the, the same way. But the other thing that I kind of share with people, and, and here's a simple question that you can both answer. Um, it's a dumb question, but it's an important one, is would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? Oh, I'd love to do things that are fun. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a dumb question, right? You'd rather do something yeah. that is fun. And so if you could make your work a little bit more fun, or if you can make, say, a sales call with your prospective clients a little bit more fun, do you think they'd be more willing to be engaged or enjoy it a little bit more, more likely to show up? And the answer is, is yes. That's what we see in the studies is that when we can find ways to enjoy our work a little bit more, we get better results. Or when we can use humor in some of our communication message, we actually get people to pay attention or to remember things longer or they improve their understanding, like 30-plus benefits of using humor in the workplace. And so humor isn't a what. It doesn't replace the work that you have to do. You still have to do what you know we consider the five skills of work of executing, thinking, communicating, connecting, and leading. Uh, but rather, humor is the how. If you can humor how you uh, into how you do some of those things, that's where you get uh, the better results that we talk about. So, you in the book you talk about uh, four different styles of humor, four different approaches, and I guess that that can run from the silly pun to um, you know you know telling a joke or. Uh, you know, being that uh, comedian, you know, the guy who's always fun to be around. But, uh, you know, and again, we'll get into some of the dangers and the downside of that. But um, can you kind of embellish or talk a little bit about the, the four styles of humor, the four types? Yeah, so people well, get a perspective of that. For sure. I think that, um, you know, one thing to understand is that humor is more broad than comedy. When we hear the word humor, we do pretty immediately think of laughter. We think of jokes, maybe stand-up comedians. And people hear humor in the workplace, and they're worried that that means that they have to do stand-up comedy in the workplace or that they're going to be seen as a clown. And, and that's not what we're talking about. Humor is defined as a comic, absurd, or incongruous quality causing amusement. So comedy is certainly a big part of it, but it might just be something kind of fun or something a little bit different, something a little bit um, silly, perhaps, as a way of changing the way that you do work. And uh, kind of under that understanding is uh, psychologist Rod A. Martin, who's been researching you know the humor space since the the early 90s defines four styles of humor and the four styles are the first one is affiliative humor and this is positive inclusive humor where you're basically kind of bringing everyone together everyone is included i think of like ellen degeneres like her show is all affiliative humor it's positive it's people like dancing or laughing with each other this is like team building events within an organization applied improv activities where everyone you know there is no target of the humor there is no kind of punchline per se but it's about making things a little bit more fun uh, the second style is self-enhancing humor and that's a positive form of humor where the target is kind of yourself where you're focusing on the, the hardships of life. You know, um, Kurt Vonnegut said that uh, laughter and tears are both responses to frustration. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. <laughs> uh, right? So it's that, that perspective of something challenging happens or say you have to do something that you know you don't necessarily like. You can either say, oh, this is terrible and be upset about it. Or you can say, okay, I have to do this anyway. How do I make it more fun? So that's self-enhancing humor. 
Then there's self-defeating humor, and that's a negative form of humor where the target is yourself. So that's kind of the self-deprecating humor. And that can be advantageous in the workplace, particularly if you are in a high-status position, because it's a great way to say, hey, I don't take myself too seriously, and you know, maybe I am the boss, or maybe I'm the speaker in this scenario, but uh, I'm still human, and I you know, put my pants on one leg at a time as well. Although I'm trying to find out ways to put my pants on two legs at a time, just so I can say that I'm different in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a way of you know, kind of ingratiating yourself. The problem with self-defeating humor is if we do it too much. Uh, or if you do it when you're in a low status position, then it's kind of seen as as you're not being that confident or maybe it's a pity party or that kind of thing. So it's best used sparingly. And then the final form of humor is aggressive humor. And that is the sarcasm, the satire. That's where the, there, you know, there is a target. It's George Carlin who is brilliant at what he did, but mm-hmm. that's very aggressive humor. And that doesn't tend to have a, a place in the workplace. It's what we as Americans often default to especially with our friends. Like I have a group of friends where the more we make fun of you, the more we must like you. If we don't make fun of you, that means we don't like you at all. And that's great for a friendship and for a, a group of people that know each other really well, but not so great if you know, you're know you meeting a client for the first time. Fact. Yeah, no, very, very helpful. So, you know, here, I, I guess where do, um, I, I, I pulled this out and this may or may not fit in here. But the uh, this is for you, Keith. Um, here's a pun. Why are millennials such great librarians? Hmm. Because they're good with texts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so now you hear the, the groans. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, you get the groans. <laughs> yeah, so, so, Drew, I mean, where, where does that fit in? I mean, because, again, I, there, there's people, I, I, I can't remember a joke to save my life. My mm-hmm. wife's great at it. She remembers stuff from 50 years ago. Um, I, I guess the, the, the point, I, I guess, not that I'm struggling with it because I see the value of it, but how do you get comfortable with this? Because, um, you know, again, humor seems to be so aligned with, um, uh, you know, being, being able to tell a joke or remember a joke or, um, you know, just being, you know, being a, a good communicator. Uh, but it's, it's so much more than that. And I mean, and again, I'm, I'm not doing justice to what your book is, but that's why you're on the show. So <laughs> to, to learn more about it. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things with the that, you know, that uh, sharing of a pun is it fits in for me. It can be affiliative humor because it's positive, inclusive. No one's the target of a of a joke kind of um, like Except the that. millennials and for case, the millennials, right? maybe. <laughs> um, right. Um, but it's a, that in particular case was a, a form of self-enhancing humor because I happen to love puns. I love wordplay. I love the English language and being able to kind of mess around with it. And so I often add jokes in like, say my book or at the ends of emails or, um, you know, sometimes in my presentations as well. And it's a form of self-enhancing humor because I love them. And I, you know, if an audience groans, that's just as good as a laugh for me mm-hmm. um, because I can kind of play with that and build off of it. So using a pun can be a form of, of self-enhancing humor, and that's just a particular style that I like and I can, I can use to my advantage. And there's many, many different styles you know, that fit within those four styles that we talked about or forms of execution you know, that we might, we might call it. Um, so that's kind of where it fits, but I think that The other thing to understand is that humor is a skill, and that means it can be learned. And, you know, I know it can be learned because I am someone who has had to learn how to use 
humor because I, you know, I went to my high school reunion not too long ago, and I've done over a thousand shows as a as a comedian, you know, both in stand up and improv, and uh, you know, I've written this book and the the TED talk with the TEDx talk with many views and all that kind of stuff. And I went to my high school reunion, and people who found out that I did comedy, they're like, "But you're not." funny because <laughs> like growing up i was never the life of the party of the class clown and and i started yeah, you going start out the book i think your first four words in the book is i am a nerd yep exactly <laughs> that's and that's what i am first and foremost but i've learned you know some of the structures of comedy i've practiced it over and over and over again and i've recognized that i'm not everyone's brand of humor like there's some people that like very aggressive or very like certain styles of humor and that's not me all of my material is rated mom Right. I want my mom to be cool with like when I was doing stand up a bunch, I wanted her to be able to come to a show and be proud of me and the material that I was doing on stage so that I wasn't talking about, you know, blue material or that was inappropriate. I know that's not for everyone, but it, it is for a certain audience. And those are all things that we can learn. So I think that's part of it is learning it, too. I think that people kind of have a, a skill or a style that they're already probably pretty good at. So maybe you can't tell a joke, but you might be a great storyteller. Or maybe you like aren't even great necessarily with storytelling, but you're really good as an artist. And so you could incorporate more visuals into, say, your presentations that you hand draw. Like that's what my brother does with his presentations as a as a professor when he's talking about, like, say, uh, the history of rhetoric. He's using images as a way to make that more interesting. And so you can build off on the natural skill that you have with practice and repetition. You get better. And then the last thing that I'll say around like people that are worried that they don't know how is that to start using humor in the workplace, you don't have to be the creator of humor. You don't necessarily have to come, be the one coming up with these incredible punchlines or these ideas. Rather, you can be the shepherd of humor. You can share humor out. So, you know, if you're doing a presentation, you can find interesting images online under a Creative Commons license and use that. And then you allow the content to be funny in and of itself, and you're just the one sharing it. Or you find a TEDx talk that you like. You know, if your if your Sherm talk that you talked about, that eighteen minute version, is you know made available online, then I don't necessarily have to be good at those eighteen things that you talked about, but I can share that out with my team and say, hey, this is worth us taking a look at, right? So you don't have to be the creator of it, you but you can be the the shepherd of it to achieve a, a similar goal. Drew, I got a question for you. How hey, did hey, you- Keith, we're gonna. We're going to take a quick break. Oh, look at that. Uh, so, yeah, it's time, time's flying as, as, as it always does. So uh, we're, we're going to be back. Uh, we're, we're talking with uh, Drew Tarvin, Andrew Tarvin, which is an, his name on the book, but Drew Tarvin, uh, with Humor That Works. Uh, we've been talking about, well, Humor That Works is uh, the, the pros and the cons and what it's all about. When we come back, we're going to uh, kind of ask one of my leading questions is going to be how do we learn how to use humor effectively without uh, going to an improv company, uh, as he did. Uh, and uh, we will, we're going to take a short break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, Jobvite and Success Performance Solutions. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back in two minutes. Behind everything you're searching for is something you're actually looking for. When you search with the real Yellow Pages, you get more than a contractor. You get a whole new curb appeal. It's not just getting directions to a dry cleaner with YP.com. It's rescuing an old favorite from the back of the closet. And it's more than finding a locksmith with YP.com on your mobile. It's getting to sleep in your own bed. Whatever it might be, there are more ways to search and more ways to find exactly what you're looking for with the real Yellow Pages, YP.com, and YP.com on your mobile, only from AT&T. What's up, everyone? This is Keith from the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization show powered by Jobvite. 
Jobvite knows career paths are made by people, not by open job requisitions. Jobvite's platform ties recruitment marketing directly to applicant tracking and onboarding, creating continuous candidate engagement that effectively connects recruiters with qualified passive candidates. Used by over 50,000 recruiters placing over 1 million jobs, Jobvite's platform impacts every company in every industry. Check us out at jobvite.com. Listen carefully. Up to 9 out of 10 job candidates visiting your company career page leave before completing an application. You heard that right. 90% of candidates who want to apply for a job at your company don't. That's just plain crazy, especially in today's tight labor market. Candidate experience matters. Stop turning candidates away. Let Success Performance Solutions help. Call us at 800-803-4303 or register at successperformancesolutions.com slash W4CY. Schedule a no-obligation consultation and get special access to insider tips to recruit faster and hire smarter. Hey, welcome back to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, everyone. I'm your host, Ira Wolf. I'm here with Keith Compagna, my co-host. And we've got Drew Tarvin today, uh, who's the author of Humor That Works, also the founder of Humor That Works. Uh, Keith, uh, during the break, you had a question about uh, Drew's journey. Um, you want to pitch that to Drew? Yeah, thanks, Ira. So, so Drew, I'm, I'm I'm learning a lot about your 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 story here, and I know I've got friends that have tried stand up comedy, and also friends that have tried you know being in the business world, and to some varying degree in both examples. How is it that you were able to take your your want to to make people laugh? And and move it into a, a corporate environment. What was that like? Uh, so it was a it was a little bit of a natural progression for me. So as I mentioned, kind of towards the beginning, I started doing improv and stand up uh, in college, and really fell in love with kind of the the logic problem that is comedy in a way of thinking about how does it work and and all of that. And so I started working at Procter and Gamble. And I remember my first week on the job at PNG, my manager gave me the advice that it is better to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And uh, having just graduated from school, being a little bit of a uh, an upstart, I, you know, I was like, all right, I want to see if he actually means that. Uh, I'm going to test him a little bit. And so I started to incorporate some of the things that I had been learning in stand-up because I think, you know, when, when people say that they have fun in what they do, I think a lot of times people assume that it has to be that they just naturally like what it is that they do. And that is certainly like when you're very fortunate and you, you stumble into something that you're passionate about. But I think the other thing that people miss is that if in lieu of, you know, finding that dream job that you absolutely love every component of, in lieu of that, you can also just find ways to make your own job that already exists more fun. And so that's what I started to do by adding jokes at the end of my emails, by you know teaching improv exercises to my teammates. And the thing that I did that I thought for sure I was going to have to beg for forgiveness for was I proclaimed myself the corporate humorist of PNG. And uh, I got business cards made. I started writing a blog about it. I started offering to do events. And I assumed someone from HR right, or legal would come up and stop me and be like, hey, you can't just create your own job title. Uh, but uh, no one ever did. People started referring to me as the corporate humorist. And that's when I realized that we have so much more ownership of what we do 
than we realized, not only in terms of, in this case, me defining a job title that didn't exist. And I still had my project management role, but I did that in addition to it, but also in terms of ownership of uh, how we do what we do. And that led me into looking at the research and finding it and realizing that there were all these benefits that, oh, if I used humor at the ends of each email, what that said to my you know, project resources was that when they open my email, not only are they going to get a status update, but they're going to get a little bit of a laugh. And that meant that they're going to open the email a lot more. You know, I, I, was, I was doing some work recently with IBM on some of their, their selling techniques. And one of the things that they said is, you know, buyers often buy first from the first person to provide them value. So not just a straight up pitch, but you provide them value in some way. And I've discovered, you know, humor can be that value. If you provide people value and say a form of a laugh or understanding of what they do and they enjoy the experience, that's partially value. So they're more likely to buy from you. Um, and so you just kind of discover and make some of these connections and say, okay, what I'm learning here in improv and standup also applies to the business world. And so that went really well with NPNG, and so I started Humor That Works part-time uh, in 2009, and then it started to grow and continue to build as I refined the message and left in 2012, and now it's what I've been doing full-time. Does that answer the question, kind of what you're asking? It sure does, and I'll stalk you enough on LinkedIn to dig deeper. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe even have you back for a part two. Yeah, thank hey, you. Hey, hey, so true. So you've got this oxymoron title, Humor mm-hmm. Engineer. You know, it's, it's sort of that old definition when I, we talk about extroverts and introverts is how do you how do you identify an extroverted in, an extroverted engineer? He doesn't look at his shoes. He looks at your shoes. <laughs> uh, you know, um, so you can do it, Ira. Mm-hmm. Huh? Hey, you just told a joke. Just did it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the joke. Um, how do you? I guess working with, you know, you, you're called into a group of engineers. Uh, you know, you, you worked with FBI and uh, Microsoft. Um, these are very likely very serious people, um, you know, very analytical, kind of straight shooters. Um, you know, I remember I, I was, I have a, 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 a friend of mine. She, she's actually, she was a coach. She was a, she's a PR uh, person and she coached a lot of people. She actually coached one of the the uh, Jeopardy. Uh, the, I'm not Ken. Uh, uh, I can't remember his other name, but he, he was the other big winner on Jeopardy. And uh, he he was he 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 was the geek um, who wasn't very polished. And all of a sudden, he was on national TV and getting interviews. So she worked with him. Um, but she she went into a, a group of engineers and to lighten the, the group up, she threw out a beach ball. And it didn't go over very well because it hit one of the guys in the head and it just fell to the floor <laughs> because they weren't <laughs> playing the game. So she said, hey, you'd do better with these type of people. <laughs> can, mm-hmm. can you come in and, and uh, you know, tell me how to do a better training? So we, we did it together and it, and it ended up working pretty well. But now, you know, here you are, um, you know, trying to, to ha- I guess, help engineers have fun at work. What's what's that look like? What's the process? What do you do? What? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, you know, at, from a broader perspective, we kind of think that, you know, that there is an art and a science to humor. Uh, and so we can oh, teach the science, <laughs> right? We can teach the science of how, you know, what a setup and punchline is, what 
uh, the four styles are that we talked about, how we can use a humor map to kind of be more directive in what we want to do, the different kind of shortcuts or tools that comedians and humorists use to create humor like an association or a comic triple. Like we can teach the science piece to it. Uh, and then in our programs, we give you an opportunity to practice the art piece of it. Uh, you know, the we want to give people reps because no, it's humor is a skill. And like any other skill, the best way to learn it is by doing it right. If you were to say, oh, I want to now learn how to play the piano. You wouldn't just read a bunch of books about pianos and then assume that you could go into a meeting and play like a masterpiece. You would need some practice and, and reps with it. Neck, you know, practice and reps can come from taking an improv class or doing some, you know, stand-up comedy workshop or doing open mics. But it can also come in day-to-day -day things. Like in everyday conversation, you know, if you're working on some material you can, and there's a, a natural flow into adding it, you could try, oh, hey, I've been thinking about this concept. Let me put it out there, see if it actually um, you know, resonates with people. That's not to say that everything you always say is meant to be a joke, but it's being a little bit more aware of it. And then I think the other thing is when people are first starting out, one of the things that can help them with that skill is just be on the lookout for when you hear laughter in your life. What makes you laugh? So you can study other comedians, but then also what, what do you say that makes other people laugh? And just be a little bit more conscious of it because it tends to be that people make people laugh every day. They just don't realize it. And then they can start to reapply those same same things as they go through. So in our programs, we're, we're teaching a little bit of those both things, both the science piece of it, what it looks like from a structured engineer perspective, and then also what the art of it is. And here are some opportunities and some ways to, to practice it a little bit more. So what what stops people from, um, uh, I guess, you, using you, using humor at work? You know, what, what and, and I guess, how do you get or? I mean, do you work with management to kind of adapt the culture to make it more acceptable to be able to do that? Because I see two sides of this. Is One is, and again, I, I know I'm stereotyping here, but it's the introvert who's a little reluctant to, to, to tell a joke or, or to speak up or, or to express himself. And then you have the organization culture, uh, you have, which is set by management, uh, that uh, may inhibit that. So, you know... You know, you, you talked a little bit about working with individuals. How do you work with management? Yeah, I think that, that management is a really, like, it's a valuable group to, to work with. Our, our main focus, because we do both, right? We work with both, like, kind of larger scale organizations for the individuals and then also for the managers. Because it's, you know, my belief that you are responsible for your own happiness, and so certainly we want to work with managers to make things a little bit better. But even if your manager is not kind of on board with that, that was part of the, the reason for writing the book is that let's say, you know, if, if your management brings me in or, you know, a similar type person to me to, to come in and speak, that gives kind of implicit permission that says for everyone. Now we have this shared language and this is something that we want to do. And that's fantastic. That's great for creating a more positive workplace culture, specifically if we do some work with the management on ways to encourage humor a little bit more. But even if that doesn't happen, now we have the book, you know, we have plenty of resources on our website. The goal is that you as an individual can say, you know what, I do own my work, right? The average person will work 90,000 hours in their lifetime. So they say, all right, I'm going to own that I have to work those 90,000 hours, so I might as well enjoy it. And even if my management doesn't say this is how I can have fun, I'm going to decide to do it myself. So that's part of what we, we work with. But certainly do it with, um, you know, the, the management level as well, because the number one reason why people don't use humor in the workplace is because they say that their boss or coworkers wouldn't, wouldn't approve or they don't think 
that their boss or coworkers would approve. And, and that's actually a, an important key is that a lot of times if humor isn't kind of the norm of the culture, people assume that it's not wanted. But 98% of CEOs prefer job candidates with a sense of humor, and 81% of employees say a fun workplace would make them more productive. And so people are seeking it. They would like it. They just don't necessarily know how or they don't know if it's appropriate. And so, you know, one of the big things is is most people assume that they can't use humor. I always assume that I could. And that was just really one, one thing that made it a little bit easier for me. So we encourage people to try. And then even if it doesn't necessarily, like even if they get told, hey, no humor whatsoever, well, no one can control how you think. No one can prevent you from, you know, using humor or listening to a comedy podcast on your way home from work so you relieve some stress and show up more present for your family, right? They can't control some of these execution things that you do. So you, you mentioned, um, uh, uh, again, you were just contacted by a client and they said five years ago they had a comedian come on and it just blew up. Have, have you had any similar experiences um, of, uh, again, you know, you're, you're talking about humor, talking about having fun and it, and it just, uh, not flopped, but didn't resonate well with the, the audience. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, you know, there is a fear about using humor and not going well. And that's, you know, the second reason why people don't use humor in the workplace is they don't know how they don't know how to do it appropriately. They don't know how to steer away from some of the dangers of it. And, uh, cause there are dangers to humor, right? Uh, mm-hmm. depending on how you yeah, use it. going to be one of my uh, next questions with yeah. when, when not uh, to do it. Uh, exactly. And so there's some dangers with it. So, you know, one danger of humor is that you, it can be a distraction. So some people like get distracted by the fun and don't, if you don't connect it back to why you're using it, because again, humor for the sake of humor is fine, but we can use it for specific reasons. We, you know, the, the advice to start a presentation with a story is not just to like start with a story. It's meant to be, okay, so you get people to pay attention. And I don't know, to me, it's almost worse if, if someone has learned, okay, start every presentation with a joke. So they tell a joke that's maybe 30 seconds long, and then the in- remaining 59 minutes and 30 seconds is like terribly boring. And it has no connection to the joke that was told at the beginning. That's not effective use of humor, right? We're talking about humor as a how, and so uh, understanding that how I think becomes a, a big part in terms of the why. So the danger is that it could be a distraction if it's not connected to the how. Another danger is that it can be divisive, right? If it is aggressive forms of humor, you can create in groups and out groups uh, because you're the group of people that are all laughing with each other, usually at the expense of someone else. And so that's where we want to make sure that we're focusing on affiliative and self-enhancing and maybe some self-defeating. So no political or religious jokes, right? Right. Yeah. Not when you're first, not if you're trying to be more effective in the workplace as, you know, as a way to, you know, chat with your friends and everything. Cause this is, you know, people will say, yeah, but comedians talk about that stuff all the time. Well, you're, you're not trying to become a comedian. The, the role of using humor in the workplace is not for you to be seen as that funny person. It's for you to get better results. Um, and then the final, you know, main danger of using humor is that um, it can be disparaging. It can be used as a way to put someone down. And again, that's where you're focusing. If you focus more on the positive forms of humor, you can kind of avoid those things. And we share in the, the book and in our programs a humor map, which stands for your medium audience and purpose. And when you understand what your medium is, like how it's going to be executed, who your audience is and what your relationship is to that audience, and finally your purpose for using humor, the specific reason for why, that's where you get a lot more clarity around um, what humor is appropriate, what you can use, and that solves kind of that second need of, okay, now we, now people understand how they can use humor a little bit more effectively. Yeah. And, and, and you've mentioned that in addition to your book, I know you got a ton of resources that are up on your website. Um, do you do individual coaching? 
Uh, I don't do a tremendous amount of it. We have some people within the team that do it, it more. Uh, my my passion is you know being on the stage and with groups of people, but we do it as an organization because the the hands on stuff can allow you a chance to work on very specific material. So more often when we do it, it's someone saying, hey, I have this presentation coming up. How do we add humor to it? And our goal is not just to create a script that's funny for you, but more of to teach you some of the skills through this one particular script. Because that's that's our entire goal, and that's you know my passion for it is – it's kind of like the idea, you know, if you tell a, tell a person a joke, they'll laugh for, you know, 30 seconds or whatever. But if you teach a person to be able to joke, then you can transform their entire life. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Drew, uh, well, as usual, I mean, we, we said about this in the beginning of the show, we, we had a ton of questions and content, and it just flowed, uh, as, as always, so quickly. Uh, we're, we're, we're coming up toward the end. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Um, you know, other than they can buy the book, but they can go to the website. But if you can give the information and the websites and, and what you got available, that'll be, that'll be a big help. Certainly. So humorthatworks.com is kind of the, the main central resource for all things related to humor. So as we've mentioned, my goal is anyone, we want to have something for everyone who is interested in using humor, whether that is, uh, you know, we've had people reach out from remote villages in India who are like, hey, I have an internet connection, but uh, uh, don't have much aside from that um, in way of, you know, accessing your resources. But here's, you know, here are blog posts, here are um, a bunch of free resources there, or here's the you know the fifteen dollar book now, or the uh, sixty dollar online course, or whatever. All of that is kind of found at humorthatworks.com. My contact information is a- Andrew at humorthatworks.com. On the speaking side of things, uh, and on the social media side of things, it's everything is Drew Tarvin, D R E W T A R V I N. So uh, I, uh, you know, if you want to reach out on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Facebook. Uh, I just realized I made a joke on a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, like, yeah, you can find me on my MySpace at Drew Tarvin. And I went and checked and I still have a MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't have anything on it. Like right, that's, a good, that's a good thought. I probably should go check to see if I have mine. Right, exactly. So I'm like, oh, I should maybe update update that just in case someone's checking it. But yeah, it's all Drew Tarvin. They can find me. I tweet puns most of the time because I like them. Uh, so if you if you love puns, you can follow me. If you don't love puns, maybe stick more to Instagram for the visual things. But uh, that's where, yeah, the, the humor that works. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about what I do. I think it's an important message. I want to elevate the the kind of um, ethos of humor because so often we think of it as just as comedy but uh, and I want to try to help anyone who's interested in it so certainly people can reach out with with questions and happy to, to answer those and share more resources or uh, insights on how they can get started because that's you know my my goal that's what I, I feel like I'm uh, uh, working towards and want to be able to do yeah, and I, and I highly recommend everybody get the book, or whether it's pa- the paperback or the Kindle version. Um, it's uh, it, it's a very very easy to read book, and um, a lot of good stuff. And and again, it's amazing. You we've we've talked. I know Keith has done as well. Sometimes you talk to authors, and they don't even know what's inside their book. You ask them a question, and and you you know your stuff. Um, this is obviously your your love of life and passion, and you're you're super good at it. So it's it's been. Uh, Really good to have you on the show to meet you, and I'm sure our paths will continue to cross. What's a kind of a final message that you, you'd like to share with our listeners? The last thing is I, I think that one is I go back to this idea that you are responsible for your own happiness, right? You decide every single day on how to 
do your work. It's a choice that you make, either actively or passively. And so I would encourage people to choose humor. I would, uh, you know, one of the things, the last strategy that we share in the book, there's 10 strategies across the five skills that we talked about. And then the last strategy is to think one smile per hour. Whether you pick up the book or not, whether you decide to tell jokes or not, whatever it is that you decide to do, try to think one smile per hour. What's one thing that I can do each hour of the workday that brings a smile to, to like, you know, my face or the face of someone else? Uh, and I think if you start to do that, you start to develop a humor habit, and then you'll notice in your own work natural times to bring it up. You'll notice, oh, I can start meetings with an interesting question that brings people a little bit closer together. Or when I'm going from sales call to sales call, I can make sure that I'm listening to a great radio show or podcast like this one or a comedy podcast to make me laugh. Or um, you know, I can gamify my own work when I'm running or even my own exercise. I can find, you know, I can download the apps run zombies run where uh, it'll pretend like zombies are chasing me to so that I do interval running training and, and have more sprints in, in my runs, whatever it is, you know, find ways to, in each hour of the day, find a reason to smile or make someone else smile. And that that's a great starting point. I think. I love it. Great, great lessons. So truth, th- I, I can't thank you enough, both of us. Um, and I'm sure all the listeners um, appreciate uh, you being here today. Uh, it's great advice. It's certainly uh, kind of a stressful world. You know, we talk about, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. But uh, that was my TEDx talk, and I talk about it all the time, and that's the world we live in. So humor has got a great place. It's a, it's a great remedy uh, of how you deal with it, and I'm, I'll surely be talking a, little, a lot more about you and, and the book and humor uh, in the future. So thanks again. Yeah, well, and thank you for having me. It was a, it was a great time, and hopefully uh, the listeners had a little bit of fun, laughed a little bit, but also had some takeaways. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Uh, so, Keith, um, any final words from you? No, no, you're talking to the kind of guy who always made the, the right jokes at the wrong time in the in the work environment, so I appreciate the, what humor does. I think it's a great avenue, a great guest, and you know, looking forward to the next week's. Yeah, next week uh, we've got, we're going international again. Next yep. week uh, we got Maya Ninkovic. Uh, she uh, has a company over in Serbia, and she's uh, in charge of. Uh, she's running the Disrupt HR Belgrade, um, and that's uh, in May. I'm going to be doing that remotely. Not going to. Uh, unfortunately, not going to be going over to do it in person. Love to do that, uh, but the travel and and other things just didn't align. So, but uh, Maya has a company on um, uh, her company. Actually, she focuses on people analytics. She, she was actually trained at. Uh, she lived in the states for about ten years. She went to Penn State. Um, so we're going to be talking about people analytics and disrupt HR. And uh, again, we're going to be international again. Our second international guest. It? So that'll be fun. You have been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Our guest today was Andrew Tarvin, uh, the author of Humor That Works. Uh, please uh, go up to Amazon or your bookstore and grab a copy or download it on your Kindle. Uh, if you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor or just sharing a few thoughts, please let us know. Uh, you can contact Keith or myself on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, thanks again to JobVite and Success Performance Solutions for sponsoring Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And join us next week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, w4cy.com, or you can listen to our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, 
uh, Spotify, um, about 20 other uh, platforms. And until the next episode, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hate your plans. (laughs) 